Welcome to Dig It. This is Edge with my co-host, Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs. Hey, Corey. Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty good. I know you know that I injured my foot a little yep. while back, so I'm just hobbling along these days. <laughs> In the old boot, the good old boot. I got one of those about a year and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. It's a pain. <laughs> good times, good times. <laughs> well, on the on the good side, it is, it is slowing me down. And making me appreciate things like help from others yeah. more. So there's always a silver lining, I guess. Yeah, there always is. All I'm right. psyched because we've got so many different things to cover. Just like everything from important information that people need to know, stuff that's coming down the pike, a um, little bit of humor in there, like all kinds of stuff. We have like 15 different topics to get through. Yes, we do. So yeah, we better get started. So today we're going to talk about some announcements that, that you have coming up on Corey's Digs. We're also going to get into this report recently published on your website uh, about the BIS, the Bank for International Settlements. And we're going to talk about the entire energy sector, sector electric vehicles, CO2, greenhouse, greenhouses, um, we also are going to talk about the Department of Energy, what they're up to with new rules that impact not just stoves, but other household appliances. And if we have time, hopefully we will, we're going to wrap up with everything that's going on between Biden corruption and the Trump January 6th indictment. So a lot to cover. Plus we have a couple things on the UN, what they're up to right now as well, and yes. how they are failing. <laughs> yep. Lot to cover. Okay, so up front, you have a couple announcements. Up front, so 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 uh, John Clark put this together. John's awesome. He's an attorney, a farmer, and a writer and activist. And he recently, uh, we just recorded an episode on the Solution series. So anyone who is a subscriber of that, we have the preview coming out uh, Friday night, and then next Tuesday is the full episode. It's absolutely fantastic, because you can imagine, I, I drilled him with so many questions. So uh, he just wrote a piece, um, that, that because he's involved with this as well, that uh, Dr. Meryl Nass, I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with Nass, and she created uh, the Door to Freedom, which is a website packed with information to help people. So it's to help people make sense of a rapidly changing world and inform them of efforts by the WHO to govern public health worldwide. They also cover, of course, all other topics um, and agendas that, you know, under the guise of health and climate and social crisis. And so, of course, John's one of the contributors. Uh, he's he's written on food and and particularly cows. And uh, I asked him a whole bunch about that in the Solution Series episode. So I wanted to help get this announcement out. Um, people can go to doortofreedom.org and check that out. And, or just go uh, to your website. They can get the yeah, link there. Right, right. And uh, John just recently released a book, uh, Small Farm Republic. Highly recommend. Absolutely brilliant. So when we talk about that in the Solution Series episode as well. So nice. just wanted to get that out there. Yeah. And then also you saw this video, which I also saw by Grace, or, or she's also known as Really Grace, Graceful. Um, she put out this video and why don't you tell everybody about it? Yeah. So I highly recommend Grace does great videos. Um, um, so this is about a nine minute video, so we're not going to play it, but I just wanted to give people a heads up. They should go watch it because she put together, uh, it has to do with, you know, homeowners and homeowners insurance and the fact that we're already seeing, uh, you know, from the manufactured inflation, the increases in, in pricing on homes and property taxes and interest rates. And now we've got this issue with homeowners insurance. Uh, she focused primarily on California and Florida, but obviously this is a, this is a scheme that's going to probably we're going to see takeoff in other states. You've got them raising homeowners insurance rates. I mean, just astronomically high to where it's it's equivalent to a monthly mortgage payment. So no one can afford it. 
or you've got insurance companies that simply like won't insure homes. So then what's a person to do? And then you've got a bunch of them that have filed bankruptcy. So I highly recommend people watch that and just see what's going on in the housing industry right now. Just a heads up on that. Yeah, it's like it plays in perfectly to our next topic, which is about this BIS report. And um, what it does is it really just highlights one aspect of, of it, which is housing and how it really kind of the the things that are happening incrementally right now with, the, as you mentioned, the inflation, uh, rising interest rates, cost of insurance. It's really p making people not be able to buy houses or own houses. Right. Right. And Which is so what they want. exactly it plays into the World Economic Forum's catchphrase of you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, which she actually does talk about in that video. And right. which we're going to kind of get into more detail about as we go through this BIS blueprint um, that was recently put out. So BIS Bank for International Settlements, just so you know, yes. I'm sure most people know, but Okay, yes. So I just published this on uh, Corey Stiggs. You guys can check it out for more details, but I'll give kind of the the recap of it. So the Bank for International Settlements, which is like a central bank of all the central banks, mm -hmm. came out with a report last month that got really no media coverage, but it's incredibly important. So they released their blueprint for how they plan to control really all of the world's assets, information, and people. In other words, it is the blueprint for how they plan to make you own nothing and be happy. Yeah. So that is why this is so important. They're actually spelling it out on how they're going to do it. So here's how it works. They plan to create a global unified ledger. Okay. And so every bank ledger, every business ledger, every personal account ledger, like a mortgage or a car loan, all centralized onto one unified database for the whole planet. So on this unified ledger, they plan for all private property like money, houses, cars, stocks, everything on the planet to each be recorded as a token on the unified ledger. Mm -hmm. And each token in their unified ledger, um, digital world, that represents an asset in the real world. And each token holds a lot of data including what the asset is, like it's a car, for example, who the asset belongs to, like the lender for that car, and you, information about you as the buyer of that car, as well as rules. That's important. That's key. Mm -hmm. Rules about what can and cannot be done with that asset. So these rules are embedded into the token itself and have legally binding impacts on the real world assets. So that is how they plan to control the real world assets, right? Yeah. Okay. So CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, are really a central part of this unified ledger. And they act as the reserve currency in this digital world. So transactions like buying a car operate seamlessly and instantaneously between CBDCs and tokenized assets on the unified ledger through smart contracts. So not only does this unified ledger plan to encompass all of the tokenized assets on the entire planet mm -hmm. but all information from the real mm -hmm. world all the external information from the real world that could possibly impact all of the assets or transactions on the unified ledger so and, and this this gets in this is what this is making me think of is when i was covering gosh i was i'm trying to remember it was it was like food traceability, the food traceability blueprint. You remember that? I was a couple mm -hmm. years back. 
And I know Amazon's heavily involved in this Whole Foods. Uh, so they're taking and they're saying, we're going to assign. And, and at that point, they were just talking about, uh, like, let's say someone in some other country is growing um, coffee beans. Well, we're going to track where that started growing all the way to every place it was shipped and distributed down to the person's cup or home it made it in. Right. That's what this makes me think of. So it's not yes. even just like your assets or my assets. It's all the ingredients, the items, the products that go into those assets, essentially. Um, yes. And all of know. the data along the way. Right. So um, like you said, that was at Amazon's ledger, for example. Well, then Amazon right. would submit that to this unified ledger and that would become, you know, so there's one central location of each of these different players, ledgers, like your bank, your credit card company, um, you know, right. Amazon, like all of them, all of them are, you know, all centralized into one ledger, feeding it real-time information, real-time data about you as the consumer, the buyer, about the the assets, um, you know, where it comes from, like you said, from this point to from point A to point Z and right. everywhere along the way. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, what kinds what kinds of information as we just talked about, really the sky is the limit on the kinds of information that this database would be storing. But imagine if, say, the Department of Energy puts out rules, new rules, for the amount of energy that each gas stove can use. Well, of course, that's going to be embedded into all the tokenized stove assets. Or imagine if the Department of Transportation, say, issues a new rule on how many miles a car can be driven in a year. <laughs> well, that's embedded into the rules of all the tokenized car assets. Kill switch. Yep. Or imagine if, say, Biden says that all Americans have to get the next mRNA injection for the next pandemic in right. order to access the money in their bank accounts. And that rule would be embedded into every tokenized version of your money on the unified ledger. And so these rules have real world implications about the assets that you that are private property that you own. Yeah. Okay, see how this works? Crazy. So this is how they plan to control you, by controlling your assets. So let's walk through a scenario of, say, buying a car, for example. So you have money in your bank, and that money is registered as a tokenized asset on the global unified ledger. It's mm -hmm. converted to a reserve, the reserve currency, which is a wholesale CBDC. Let's say you want to buy a car with your money. So um, that's also registered on the unified ledger as a tokenized asset. So the exchange of your tokenized money for the tokenized car is executed instantly through a smart contract. But wait, there's rules attached to that smart contract. These rules are built into your money and into the car you just bought. And so they're set up for any contingency you can imagine. So did you get your vaccine? Check. Now you can use your money. So you've got you've got the car now and you drive to your mom's house in another state. Uh-oh. You've just broken one of the rules that was built into your smart contract when you bought that tokenized car. Mm -hmm. So the rule said you had to stay within 15 minutes of your house. <laughs> now your car payment goes up a hundred dollars, and if you don't, and if you do it again, the car is repoed. You see how yeah. that works? Yeah. And this is all channeling through the central banks. Yep. Yep. So, like yeah, the you know the the in the uh, the book that I wrote on the digital identities. When I was looking into, I was reading ugh, so many white papers back then, and I think it was one that De Deloitte put together, and it had to do with the. Uh, they were pushing, I don't know if you remember this, but I highlighted some of it um, in my book, which is also on my website in the four-part series, where, trying to, oh yeah, so they, they highlighted points where they were 
this was about the digital identities and how they were pushing and incentivizing the big banks to take charge. And so, I mean, we could see this coming years ago that they were going to they were going to pull not just the CBDCs, but they were going to try to incorporate the whole digital identities by using the banks to push it. Right. Right. Yeah. And so the Bank for International Settlements is really like, like I said, the central bank of all banks. So the central banks would be collecting this information, this data, you know, tokenizing Who has immunity, things, by the way. Right. They would have the ledger for each nation or each central bank, right? Whatever their, you know, control area is, and then submit all of that to one unified ledger under the Bank for International Settlements. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All of whom have freaking immunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I I wanted to get into a tangent about the logistics of operating a global unified ledger like this and really kind of go down a rabbit hole about the energy that it would. Yeah. But before we get to the energy, let's get to the fraud part of it, because this is this is where I'm curious. So I was messaging Edge because I didn't have a a chance to read this. And also you have in the report a link to uh, Financial Rebellion with Catherine Austin Fitz and Polly Tomey and Carolyn Betts, where they get into this. And then also, uh, was it Gammon? Who was the other one? George Gammon, um, a financial expert that puts out some great videos. He did an excellent video on this, breaking it down fully into really plain language for anybody, even people who aren't financially, you know, that's just not really their mindset. Um, He breaks it down to where it's fully understandable and why we absolutely have to avoid this at all costs. Right. So if anyone wants, you know, more in-depth information on it, but at any rate, so in the document itself, um, I was asking you, I said, well, what do they say about how they're going to combat fraud? Because I've looked into it and we've got, I mean, if, if you show just the Carnegie link, for example, that shows 200 major cyber attacks on financial institutions and they map it out. It's an interactive map. If you scroll down um, by country and then they, they list them all. Okay, great. And you can, anyone can do these searches on all these data breaches. We're talking like big banks, investment firms. You got big tech, healthcare, airlines, telecommunications, auto dealers, chat, GPT, PayPal, even our own government, for God's sake. So we've been seeing over the last several years. And of course, we know that part of that is them wanting to hype up the cyber attacks and why we need this a new system that's going to be more secure. And my question is, well, how in the hell is this going to be any more secure after what we've been seeing going on? And so in the BISH report um, on page 108 of their report, they have this little chart, of course, showing the massive increase in cyber attacks and how we're going to have to, you know, lock this down. So I just wanted to read a couple little paragraphs from there. And then kind of see what what you think on this, because I know you read far more of this report than I have. Uh, But they say, beyond privacy protection, rising costs from cyber attacks highlight the need for strong institutional and legal safeguards for cyber resilience. Safeguarding the integrity and confidentiality of the ledger's data requires multiple layers of security, such as encryption, authentication, access controls, monitoring, and regular security audits. A cyber attack on a critical FMI or ledger could not only entail significant monetary and reputational damage, but also lead to widespread disruption in the financial system and ultimately inflict significant societal costs. Yeah, no kidding. The more comprehensive the ledger, the bigger the risks of a single point of failure, and therefore the larger the potential associated costs. An appropriate level of investment in cyber resilience and security is therefore paramount. And it goes on to say, collectively, financial institutions will spend too little on cybersecurity. The unified ledger, sustained by a public-private partnership that internalizes these externalities, could, could overcome this issue. It would lead to greater investment in cybersecurity, increasing overall system resiliency. And then the last thing I want to point out that they state is on tokenization. They say tokenization efforts must also address legal issues rules and regulations governing tokenized assets must be aligned with those of their non-tokenized counterparts. 
which requires regulatory coordination to prevent unintended consequences, such as shadow activities, theft, and regulatory arbitrage. The ta this task is easier for assets subject to legal frameworks and regulations that are standardized and can be easily translated into a computer algorithm. Broader issues include those pertaining to investor and consumer protection, cybersecurity, and regulatory compliance across borders. So a mouthful of words. Yeah, of, word salad. Just to say <laughs> just to say that this is gonna be a borderless world once this is implicated once this is unleashed. So national sovereignty gone right mm -hmm. um and it's going to be sold as safe and convenient right right so so this just happened to me a week ago i find out that my um my my bank card was uh compromised and so they're sending me out a new one and so i did this little poll across social media 631 people voted Basically, I asked the question, in the past five years, has your bank account or debit card been hacked to where you had to set up a new account or get a new debit card? Now, I did this across three different social media sites. So the total was 631 people, and it was 49.6% have had you know fraud committed in the last five years against their bank account. So That's 50, a staggering 50. amount. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, damn. So tell me, you know, let's get into energy on this whole thing as well. But but you tell me how any of this is going to be safe, not to mention it's in the hands of the central bankers who have full immunity. So there's there's no even trying to and combat who, them. Yeah, it's going to be in the hands of global elites and central bankers who make the rules. Yeah, right? rules and regulations. Yeah, so the good news... Nothing constitutional by any means. Before we get into the energy, quick couple quick points. The good news is that I don't think that they're going to be able to implement this enslavement system immediately. Because it oh, God, is... No. Yeah, because it's going to take a massive amount of coordination, a massive amount of computing power, AI, and energy to operate. So yeah. this is a plan that will take years to fully accomplish, but they mm -hmm. will start rolling it out incrementally over time, beginning very soon. And probably, I think, by piloting a wholesale CBDC soon here in the U.S. and, and other places. Well, they've been strategically amping up the well, didn't you do some numbers? Didn't you run some stats? Did you want to go over those or no? Yeah, on the, on the energy, I will. And there's one other okay. point I wanted to make. The bad news about this, and George Gammon gets into this in his video, is that it's going to be rolled out incrementally to get mm -hmm. people, to get the public <clears throat> used to it, and to sell right. the public on the key features of convenience of instant payments for anything around the world. Plus, people are going to be led to believe that it's more safe and secure. Well. So we've already seen this for years now, more people. And I ask when I go into like a coffee house or a restaurant or, you know, grocery store, I ask people working there. I say, how often do people use cash? You know, just throw me a percentage and they'll be like, oh, only like 20%. Like everyone's using their bank cards. And then you'll get smart meters by 2020, by the end of 2020, 75% of all households had smart meters right so by yeah. now they're probably getting real close so that's another part of this plan that they've had mm -hmm. to amp up in order to bring on the full enslavement system yep that's lots a very key part lots of moving parts yep. i don't think that the full-on draconian measures would start until really everyone's locked in and addicted to this new system right Over well beyond, but beyond that beyond that because they're working on this at the same time as electrifying the world, right? They don't want us having access to any gas, any gases, any fuels, um, straight electric. We're going to run the, you know, electric vehicles and, and stations everywhere. And, okay, if, if we have grids going down, so they have to get think about this. They have to get all of their so-called renewable energies that are just going to be so much better um, in place and 
And then they're going to electrify everything. And we already know there's going to be power outages. There's already power outages that go on. And they have to have that so locked in, so dialed in, in order to roll out this monetary system. So, I mean, you start thinking about that. And, hey, we already know that they're halfway to failure on their Mm -hmm. sustainable development goals, which we'll talk about later. Yep. (laughs) Yep. And it's funny how you say the electrification, because it's like, where does electricity come from? Electricity doesn't just come from thin air. (laughs) It comes from those same fuel sources. I know. So really, it's all the same place that it comes from. It's just converted to electricity, which is actually what I'm about to get into. Um, I want to kind of break down the logistics of operating a global unified ledger and why this will take a while to make it uh, happen and how much energy it will suck up. Okay. Mm-hmm. So about, let's see here. Uh, okay. So I was looking at this and this was part of a report I did um, on funding the control grid, the technology side of things. So mm-hmm. about 5 billion is invested annually across all federal agencies to ramp up on the AI the high capacity computing, the data collection side of the equation. I mean, look at this pie chart here. It gives you an idea. AI, high capacity computing, and data consists of more than half of what they're um, putting their (laughs) money into. Um, So that's what, you know, why they're doing it is to really get this kind of operation up and running. But on the energy side, as for energy, I want to go off on this tangent for a minute about the amount of energy that a global unified ledger would take or consume really. Okay, so um, take Bitcoin, for example. It's the largest cryptocurrency in the world. Uh, The total global market for uh, all cryptocurrencies is about 1.75 trillion. Now you compare that to say the global GDP, which is about 112 trillion. So the global GDP is about 64 times larger than the entire entire crypto market. So just looking at the energy consumption of Bitcoin, for example, a typical supercomputer uh, consumes vast amounts of energy to process the data that is pumped through it, which is then converted into heat, requiring cooling adding to the energy needs. So the machines need to be run 24 hours a day. And that means a sizable amount of energy to extract new Bitcoin. Just talking about Bitcoin. Right. A single Bitcoin transaction takes almost 2,189 kilowatts to complete or the equivalent of over 75 days of power for the US for an average US household 75 days of power for one single bitcoin transaction hmm. okay now wow. you have to scale that by at least 64 times probably way more to cover yeah. all the assets all the transactions all oh, the absolutely. people all the information all the cbdc's on this global unified ledger okay you yeah. follow me Oh, yeah. So it would take, if you multiply that by 64 times, and I'm being conservative here by the 64, right? Right. (laughs) Right. Okay. But it would take about 10,000 terawatts of electricity per year, at least, to operate Mm -hmm. a global unified ledger. So the entire world produces about about 30,000 terawatts of electricity per year. In other words, they're going to need to siphon off one third of the entire world's electricity (laughs) to operate this digital Death Star. Yeah, (laughs) digital Death Star. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. And you think it's going to be China who's going to reduce their electricity consumption by a third? No. (laughs) Think again. No, our energy consumption is going to be restricted more. China's going to continue growing their energy consumption. Right. So now you... 
this is where, you know, like smart meters, for example. So they start saying, hey, you know, these are, we're going to delegate or allocate uh, X amount of kilowatts per household. And if you exceed that, and don't worry, we'll give you a little cheat sheet that says the average household should utilize that, 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 that. So follow along and then we'll send you an alert if you're getting close, kind of like when you're about to hit your bandwidth or, or, you know, minutes on a cell phone, we'll send you an alert and we'll say, you're getting low on your kilowatts. You better conserve energy fast or you're going to run out. And if you run out, then we're going to find you. But that's just going to start like that. Eventually what will happen is we'll just flip the damn switch. Even though they claim that they can't do that through smart meters. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I yeah, the fact, checker, fact checkers will go after you for that one. Corey. I know. I know. <laughs> and I haven't yes. fact checked it. So I can't say. I'm just going no. like uh, conspiracy theorists are, you know, <laughs> consistently right nearly a hundred percent of the time. So, uh, <laughs> the fact checkers are batting zero. So, right. Um, so now, you know, the real reason why they're pushing the climate grift, grift so hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course we know not only is it a way to steal your tax do- dollars and enrich themselves and impose draconian measures, mm-hmm. but the real reason is that they know that this digital enslavement system will require a massive amount of energy to operate and they want john q public to willingly give up their energy usage to save the planet while that energy is actually funneled into operating this digital enslavement system right and so one of the best ways to do that if you flip over to the uh the graphic on the electric vehicles if we remove the you know less production of fuel for vehicles and we switch that over to electric which sounds kind of like an oxymoron but it gives them the ability to control it so the wonderful secretary of energy as giddy as she is she drives me nuts uh she says incredible stats in here not the least of which is IEA reporting a 55% increase in U.S. EV sales last year. So she's referencing a report. But if you look at this chart, it's crazy. 55% increase in people buying electric vehicles. If, If people could just, you know, there's certain little sacrifices of convenience or things that might save us money now that we have to let go of. (laughs) If people would realize all the money going into these EV stations all over the country, which was part of their whole infrastructure bill and demanding that um, manufacturers must develop, you know, uh, either hybrids or full EVs by such and such a date, which in most cases is probably 2030. But I think some of them, they were making those demands even earlier than that. Well, guess what? If people aren't buying them, they can't keep mass producing them and selling them. So there are things that can be done that people can do along the way if they're aware of this bigger agenda. Don't buy it. Don't fund it. Don't play into it. Because all it's doing is building the the enslavement system piece by piece by piece. And once they get this bad boy locked in, not good. Not good. Yeah, and this is a perfect segue because Miss Granholm has been up to a lot lately. Mm -hmm. I think she's over. (laughs) She's over at the Department of Energy, you know. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, (laughs) because this is a perfect segue, um, you know, over at the Department of Energy, they are up to a lot. The House Oversight Committee held a hearing just this week on a tidal wave of new Department of Energy rules under consideration affecting home appliances. And I'm not just talking about gas stoves, but dishwashers, refrigerators, water heaters, furnaces, air conditioners as well. Yeah, and I'm going to play air conditioner. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a five minute clip. I probably won't play it. But yeah, they talk about this wave of new rulemaking by 
the Department of Energy. And what he's talking about here in this clip is, of course, that the Department of Energy really has not been cooperative with the oversight hearings and hasn't even bothered to show up uh, when when asked to um, to answer questions. Um, but here's what they're doing. The Biden regime is using a tricky little scheme to implement these climate rules over at the EPA and the Department of Energy and other agencies. So here's the scheme. They're using clim their climate activist friends in nonprofit organizations. And mm -hmm. those organizations are suing the EPA and the Department of Energy over climate issues, like say rules on home appliances. And so those lawsuits are then settled for millions of dollars and then used by the EPA and the Department of Energy to say, hey, we have to update the rules as part of this yeah. lawsuit settlement. Yep. <laughs> and this bypasses any legislative authority and oversight. Unbelievable. And, get, and gets these these new rules shoved in. So what are the rules? What are they talking about? About Well, thanks to the Department of Energy website here, they conveniently wrote a nice little fact-checking blog. <laughs> we have um, the list of rules that they're working on, and we can be assured that whatever fact-checking they do on this blog is the opposite of the truth. So far, as I said, the fact-checkers are batting zero, while the so-called conspiracy theorists are getting it right every damn time. Yep. Um, and sure enough, they are imposing or proposing new rules on, say, light bulbs, hmm. stoves, uh, refrigerators and uh, clothes washers, dishwashers, and yes, even air conditioners. No, what are they saying about air conditioners? Um, so, a lot of stuff about uh, window units and the emissions of those window units and the regulations mm. on what they, you know, how they have to be more energy efficient and you see where my biggest concern is. <laughs> Don't take away my air conditioning. No. I mean, after all, we're in massive global warming, right, Edge? We need our air. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, they'll claim um, on their little fact-checking website um, that we're going to be saving billions from energy efficiency of these new appliances. But the reality is that these appliances are going to cost more for consumers while doing a crappier job. It's the same right. old story, the manufactured inflation story that we're seeing in all parts of the economy right now. You know, you pay more for a crappier version of any product, product or service these days. Right. And that'll probably have some sort of control mechanisms on them that pump out less water and put out less air and, and all of that. Did you see that clip the other day on those people stuck on the tarmac on the plane? I think it was no. for like three or four hours. And there was no air conditioning because they were stuck on the tarmac. So they were sitting in this plane in 111 degrees. Oh, that's. I would have cried like a baby. Five minutes in, I would have said, open that damn door or I'm opening it and getting out myself. <laughs> oh, right, right. Oh, my gosh. So oh. these rules here, um, they're not all implemented at the same time. They're going to be implemented incrementally. You see how they like to do these things incrementally, step by step. Yeah. So that you don't notice, so you don't all work together to fight back. Um, it's little incremental ways that they um, implement these rules. So like 2024 was one rule, another rule 2026, 2027. But they got to get it done before 2030, though, because that's when I happen. think, well, I think that's their, their date for when they want to yeah. launch this digital Death Star. Oh, they would love that, but... But this is a good segue right into halfway to 2030, world nowhere near reaching global goals, UN warns. So let me scoot through this real quick, unless you had more to say on the energy front. Nope, that's it. Okay. 
So they're saying, and I'm just going to read just a few key points from this article. They're saying the world is woefully off track to achieve the sustainable development goals by the 2030 deadline. Top United Nations officials said on Monday as ministers and policymakers gathered in New York to examine how countries can get back on track and make the transformative development agenda a reality. So it's kind of funny, isn't it? <laughs> so they're, they're saying the annual SDG funding gap has risen from 2.5 trillion before the pandemic to an estimated 4.2 trillion. Governments are drowning in debt with developing countries facing sky-high borrowing costs, and 52 nations are in default or close to it, with no effective system of debt relief in sight. So, you know, they could put to use all that money they've been printing. So, Or, or siphoning off and laundering through Ukraine. Right? Yeah. So they say they're, they're pushing, you know, we got to make 2023 really count. And they're referring to key meetings on food security, climate action, health, and sustainable de development uh, later this year. They have like a summit coming up in September. I believe that's the one in, in uh, New York that's coming um, with plans and pledges to strengthen their action. They say, above all, we need the SDG summit to send a clear message from world leaders and through a strong political declaration uh, to throw their weight behind the goals and strengthen the global movement to deliver. So they're halfway there um, and yet nowhere near achieving these goals. Uh, they got seven years to go, not even quite. And uh, they also underlined the need, and this is one of the key points I wanted to make people aware of. So they underlined the need to tailor SDG implementation to local conditions and priorities, ensuring local governments and communities take ownership of the goals, mobilize sufficient financial resources and attract investments. And of course, they're gonna you know, foster partnerships with a diverse range of stakeholders, including brainwashing young people. So, we need everyone needs to pay attention in their local areas, not just with you know state legislators, but in your actual town, your city, your community, because they have these consultant agencies that come in and they convince them the building department and the zoning department to revamp things. And then they come up with their whole master plan. So if people just type in their town and they do a search, uh, master plan, sustainable development, um, or uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of all the terms I've used because I've searched towns all over the country and they're all doing it. So, you know, get the word smart in there, get the word sustainable in there when you're doing your searches. And I bet you, if you have at least 100,000 people in your area, you're going to see a whole master plan on what they're planning on doing by you know doing the little roundabouts for driving and putting in more bike routes because they want to take away our vehicle use and um of course light street lights and surveillance systems and all that good stuff and all the 5g uh, towers of course everywhere. oh yeah yeah that well that yeah that's been going on so <laughs> so they say let us this corrects me up let us keep the promise of the 2030 agenda, the promise we have made to our 8 billion stakeholders. That's hilarious. Let us transform the world. Let us save the world. No, let, let, it, let you not. So they have this forum leading up to the summit. And in the forum, they are planning on this year reviewing the goals 6, 7, 9, 11, and 17 to help prepare for the summit. And those are clean water and sanitation, affordable and clean energy, industry, innovation and infrastructure, sustainable cities and communities. And of course, 17 always goes in because it's partnerships for the goals. So uh, they're, they're feeling and they need to hit this really hard. And because of that, we now got, you know, back to back tweets here between the UN and then we got Tedros coming out with his little spiel, making sure he hits all the key playing cards of racism and climate change and inequality and all that good stuff. 
and he's talking about how the global economy and global health are inextricably linked. And COVID-19 was so much more than a health crisis. It created one of the most significant economic shocks of the last century. Let's just replace um, it with we. Right. Uh, the, the, of course, the recovery, the first right out the gate, the co- recovery has been uneven with developing countries, yada, yada, yada. And then we get into severe weather events and other risks of climate change. And uh, so the G20, of course, established their joint finance health task force and launched the pandemic fund. So they're really pushing hard to get more money. Um, And the World Bank in collaboration with with IMF and the uh, European Investment Bank are all working together, developing an analysis of the interactions between health systems, societies, and economics. Right. And uh, that's how we're going to have this global unified ledger. It links everything, Corey, because yep. as as Tejra just, just explained, the global economy and global health are inextricably linked. So, oh, yes. And then he hammers to- it home at the end with how it's time to rethink financing for health. This is an investment. So, so yeah, this all ties together. We can see where their failures are. We can see how if we don't, I mean, just take the electric vehicles, for example, because I'm sorry, but that's going to be a key thing in the future. If they take away our ability to drive. So 55% increase in, you know, people buying electric vehicles, knock it the hell off. I don't care if it saves you money right now. It's not going to save you anything in 10 years from now. Right. We have to fight this just as they're implementing it incrementally. We have to fight it incrementally. Right. And we this this is evidence of how they're not anywhere near their goals for 2030. Right. What we're doing is working and we need to double our efforts on uh, on pushing back against all of this globalist stuff, whether it's electric cars or smart meters or um, just anything digital, um, you, you know, just pushing back in every small way that we can together is slowing yeah. down their plans and their ability to reach that magic number of 2030. They keep having yeah. to put it off, put it off, put it off. Because remember, yeah. it used to be 2021. It, right, exactly. I was just going to say that. Yeah. So yeah. we'll just have to keep them um, pushing it back because they're not reaching their goals because we aren't complying. Right. And speak of the climate hoax, let's roll this little one minute clip on uh, CO2 in greenhouses. Right. Okay. I love this. (laughs) Arga is driving growth in the agricultural sector by adding carbon dioxide to increase production capacity and guarantee large, attractive flowers and vegetables such as cucumbers, tomatoes and lettuce. Using carbon dioxide fertilization increases yield by up to 30%. Ambient air has a carbon dioxide concentration of 400 ppm. This is sufficient for growing tomatoes and cucumbers, but as the plants, often grown in greenhouses, start to consume the carbon dioxide in the air at first sunlight, if the concentration of carbon dioxide is allowed to fall, growth is slowed down or halted. CO2 in greenhouses is very important because we get a better crop, a higher yield and better quality of the tomatoes. Additional carbon dioxide needs to be added to increase efficiency and to have the optimal yield. By keeping the carbon dioxide concentration in the greenhouse atmosphere in a range of 600 to 1000 ppm, the best growth rate can be expected. When extra carbon dioxide is added to greenhouse air, the tomato, cucumber and lettuce yield improves by up to 30% or even more. Cut flowers and potted plants also benefit from carbon dioxide fertilization. Carbon dioxide not only increases yield, but also produces an earlier harvest and improves plants' resistance to disease and pests. 
Okay, so I don't know how old that video is. I honestly have not done the research in it. I was looking at, um, if I have the right company pulled up here, it looks like they are working on some massive hydroponic greenhouse at the moment. Um, but I mean, it just... It, it completely <laughs> demolishes their whole CO2 argument. Come I on, know. people. CO2 is what plants feed on. If you kill off the CO2, you kill off the plants, and then you kill off the people. Exactly. Exactly. Which is exactly what stupid Kamala Harris said. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect segue <laughs> edge. <laughs> we just got to play this funny 11-second clip. Yeah, and we know what she said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. When we and, re and reduce population and everyone applauds. And I believe the White House came out after that. Yep. And didn't they do a little correction? They fact-checked Kamala Harris. <laughs> she didn't mean population. She meant pollution. Bull yeah. Shit. Yeah. It's, it's a slip that we hear often from these people because it, you know, you can only hide the truth for so long. And they've gotten to the point now where they're really not even hiding it, you know? It's probably getting so difficult to, to not slip up that they're like, well, let's just tell people that they're going to own nothing and be happy. It'll make it'll take a load off our shoulders. Yep. Yep. They really are pulling the curtain back and showing <laughs> everything right now. They're not even trying to hide it. Right. And the last topic is kind of about that, which is all of this Trump and Biden stuff, the corruption with Biden, the indictments of Trump. They're really pulling back the curtains and showing you exactly who they are. It's like, we don't even care that you see how corrupt we are, right? Right. <laughs> At this point. Right. So <laughs> this week, of course, um, the... Um, there, the IRS whistleblowers testified at the House Oversight hearing, uh, bringing the receipts of Joe Biden's bribery scheme and compromise by foreign countries. I mean, we're talking about proof of 17 million in payments from foreign countries in exchange for political favors, such as firing that prosecutor in Ukraine who was investigating Burisma and the Bidens or getting their cut of, you know, $10 million in exchange for arranging a deal between mm -hmm. Russia's Rosneft, which was under sanctions, and China's CEFC, which is a front mm -hmm. for Chinese espionage. So the IRS whistleblowers had a criminal investigation ongoing for years, starting in 2020 up till now. And this investigation was of the Bidens, plural, right? Not just Hunter, right. for multiple felonies. And their investigation was shut down by the weaponized DOJ and FBI, which the DOJ tipped off Hunter about the IRS's plans to obtain documents in Hunter's storage facility, for example. Um, the relevant information from Hunter's laptop was withheld by the FBI from this IRS investigation. Agents weren't allowed to search uh, Joe Biden's home or ask questions and in interviews about Joe Biden's role in the scheme. So at every step, the DOJ and the FBI were covering for the Bidens. Also, the FBI withheld a key piece of information, which is the FBI's 1023 uh, from the IRS investigators. And this 1023 going back to, to, you know, 2020 shows the FBI not only knew the laptop was real, but also knew from a credible confidential source um, that, that the Biden bribery scheme in Ukraine um, involved, completely involved Joe Biden. And right. This was all prior to the election, yep. right? So the FBI knew everything, of course, but um, this testimony by IRS whistleblowers, it is really um, 
all of this is grounds for impeachment of Joe Biden, Merrick Garland, Christopher Wray, and many, many others. Um, but this, of course, comes, um, you know, this is, is why uh, Joe Biden's personal Stasi has indicted Trump this week. Okay, the timing's not coincident. It's obviously an attempt to bury the headlines about Biden corruption. Right. So the indictment of Trump comes after Trump's latest straw poll, winning 86% of all Republicans. And this was at a, I think it was um, not CPAC, but it was at a TP USA um, at a conference, right? Okay. Well, anyways, um, Trump is clearly going to be the nominee. The primary is essentially over. So now they're going hard after Trump. And um, the charges brought against Trump are really an attempt by the Biden regime to get Trump removed from the ballot in all 50 states. And how are they planning to do that? They're, they're, they've got charges on January 6th, on his role in January 6th, right? And part of this scheme is um, involving or targeting his inner circle. So they've already seized the cell phones of people in his inner circle, advisors, attorneys for Trump. And another aspect of this is going after and indicting alternate electors from the 2020 election. So in Michigan, after the massive voter fraud was exposed, Republican electors submitted their alternate electors as a backup because this was in the midst of the chaos prior to the electors being certified on January 6th. Nobody knew what was going to happen. We thought it was possible the electors would be sent back because of all the voter fraud we had uncovered so that state legislators would have time to investigate the voter fraud in their states before the, the electors were certified. So these Republicans were really doing their duty um, in offering this alter alternate electors um, so that in the case that they electors got sent back and there was a an investigation, then they could go forward with um, with certifying the alternate electors. Right. OK, so right. Um, these are the electors that are being indicted in Michigan. And um, I want to play this. I want to play this short clip because it really debunks the attorney general in Michigan's um, claims that they were fraudulent fake electors, that they were trying to pose as real electors. Um, they tell, tell you themselves that this is just a backup slate to give the legislators time to look at the fraud. It's not a replacement of the electors. So hold on one sec. I'll play okay. this. According to everything that needed to be done, we certified it. The copies were all sent off to the proper locations and the proper people. Uh, so we're excited to have that. We don't want to say that this is, this is not a replacement, but this is a lifeboat. This is a so this backup slate allows our legislators time. They need time. They need to look at what happened in Atrium County and also look at Wayne County, Macomb County, Kent County, Oakland County. And we're not going to believe there's nothing to see here. We're going to keep fighting. So thanks to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's crazy. I hadn't I hadn't seen that yet. This is insane. So they're they're indicting them on what basis? They're saying that they were fake electors, that it was committing huh. fraud, that it was a conspiracy. Yeah, so Good they're Lord. all being indicted. But this isn't just about Michigan electors in 2020. This is about sending a message to yep. Trump, to his inner circle, to electors, and to the American people. The message is, yeah, we stole 2020, and we're going to do it again. And if yeah. you get in our way, then the Biden's personal Stasi is coming for you. Yep. 100%. Yeah. So. We. Insane. Crazy week. No fear. No, no fear. It's, 
Yeah. You're working on a big report right now, right? Yeah, I'm actually working on a report that has to do with the Biden corruption, but with a twist, a big twist. twist. Yes. I've seen the map. It's a hell of a map. (laughs) (laughs) It's a giant web of corruption, espionage, you name it, going back decades and involving many more people than the Bidens. And if you want to get serious about rooting out the corruption, you have to look at the Biden scheme as one part of a much larger and older operation. Yep. Yep. I can't wait for you to finish that one. Working on it. (laughs) (laughs) No rush, Ed. No rush. Uh, All right. (laughs) All right, guys, thanks for joining us today on Dig It. Please be sure to share this podcast. We're on BitChute, Foxhole, Gab TV, iHeart, Odyssey, Pilled, Rumble, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. No longer on YouTube, so be sure to subscribe to our other platforms, and we'll see you back next time right here on Dig It.